0: So earlier, I um, was on the platform up there, and I, this was in our first service, and had um, someone in the background sitting right over here, and they're like, "You know, it's Christmas Sunday when Jeremiah looks nice." So, so there you go. So every Sunday, every Christmas Sunday, um, I do wear a suit. Um, no, I don't wear a suit no, at I'm Easter. No. no this is I just have a coat yeah um, but um, it is Christmas in a couple of days in several days and I want to let you guys know how good of a person I am so um, and that's that that's a joke um, but apparently you guys don't get that anyways um, so years ago um, I was asked by my children uh, if we could get a cat all right, um, and the cat. Growing up, when I was really young, we had several cats. All right, and we were. I never really cared for cat. We we uh, cats. We had this one cat, and his name they called him Thomas the Hitman. Um, and the reason why they called him this is because he would stay he would stake out areas around the house underneath chairs and stuff like that and when my sister would walk by he'd smack her and run away (laughs) and so they call him Thomas the Hitman Um, I remember only one cat and it was I was um, about sixth grade and it was a little kitten and it was on my front porch and I saw it, and it was, you know, it was crying, and I caught it, and made it our cat, right, except it didn't like me at all, Um, it loved my dad, but it was, he was the only one that it would even come near, and so that cat was named Scat, um, because I wanted it to, this cat after a while because it was a real mean cat to me. Um, So my children asked me several years ago if we could have a cat. And I thought, no. Um, But not being a mean dad, I tried to come up with a, a way to tell them no. Yeah. And still, you know, be a nice dad. And so they asked me, can we have a cat? And I don't think any of them remember this um, because I barely remember it. Um, And I told them the reason we can't get a cat is because we don't own our own home. Um, since we've lived in Quartzsite, the, the church has always provided a, a home for us. And so we can't have one because the church doesn't have one. Now, I am a dog person, um, and we've always had dogs, me and my wife. Um, and so we can have dogs in other people's houses, but we can't have cats. <laughs> and so this is the logic I have, okay? So I told them we can't have a cat because we live in someone's house. And so when we do own our own house, then we could have a cat. Well, by by God's providence and through family, we bought a house. So this year, my children asked me, can we have a cat? <laughs> and I had to say yes. And so yesterday, I went down with um, Gabe back there, and he had some shopping to do. And so I went with him, and we stopped off at the SPCA, and we got a cat. And this is him. This is... This is Skippy, Why you name you an uh, uh, no, actually we named him Skippy because of a book series called Skippy John Jones. Um, he, is a cho- uh, he is a Siamese cat, that h- his ears are too big for his head and so he believes himself to be a chihuahua. <laughs> <laughs> and so, but we call him Skippy because it's just, we wanted to call him Skippy. Um, he is about that long and about that thin. I mean, he is a thin cat. He is two months old, um, and he has barely any, I think he's two point something pounds. Uh, He's real skinny, and so uh, we had him there, and he wasn't, at the the SPCA, he wasn't eating, and so we were kind of concerned about that, so we brought him home, and we chopped up his food really fine, and he started eating, and this cat has eaten a lot. Um, since he's been home um, and so yeah, so that is our cat and I'm just let you know. I'm a really good dad <laughs> <laughs> um, good Yeah, but if that cat does anything that makes me mad he's gonna we're gonna change his name to target <laughs> <laughs> And um, But I'll tell you what I thought they were cheaper and they're not so it's a pretty pretty expensive target the only you get to shoot once so um <laughs> Oh yeah. Uh, we won't do that. You that you know. Of. Um anyways, um but he's real frail, real, you know. Real um, tiny, and you can see his ribs and everything. And it's this really this idea of frailty that we're going to be talking about today. So if you have your Bibles, um, we're going to be in Luke chapter two, um, and if you don't, it's going to be up there. Um, but we've been going through the Christmas story, and we've been only focusing on three parties, three groups, and three moments within the Christmas story. And we've been doing this kind of walking our way through the Christmas story for the last three weeks. Now we first started in our first week talking about angels okay we were talking about the angels and how in the Bible only three times do we actually see the angels show up to sing or at least we're told three instances of when they sing one instance is when God creates which it seems to be a pretty big deal right if God's creating something especially a universe maybe that's a big deal and so the angels show up and they sing about it then later on And the very end, so that's at the beginning of the Bible. At the end of the Bible, we actually see that the angels sing about salvation. It's about bringing people out of death into life. And so the angels sing about that. And in the middle of the two, we have Christmas. We have the angels singing about what's called the incarnation, right? God coming to earth, wrapping himself in flesh, and walking among his creation. And so in the Bible, we have three monumental events where the angels sing, creation, incarnation, salvation. And so we talked about that. And then we talked about how we, if we're going to celebrate Christmas right, that we need to sing. We need to join with the angels in praising God, praising Him for creating us, praising Him for coming to us, and praising Him for saving us. And so we talked about these three things. And then last week, we talked about the shepherds. And the shepherds in this case, we focused on the understanding that the shepherds knew about what it, mean, what it meant to sacrifice because they were salt of the earth people. They, were, they worked hard. In fact, it says that they were in their flocks, uh, watching their flocks by night. So they're 24-hour type of people that have to watch these things. But we talked about how a lot of those sheep That they were specifically bred to be a part of the sacrificial system in Israel. That throughout Israel, throughout all the area, that they were... Raising these animals to go up to the temple to be sacrificed on behalf of other people. And so these shepherds understood what it meant to care for a small lamb, to watch it get old enough, and then to send it off to be sacrificed. And so we talked about how Jesus is the lamb that God gives. And so he is the sacrifice for us. And these shepherds understood what that would mean to have a little lamb, or in this case, the child, to grow up to be a sacrifice. And so we talked about that and how we need to understand that. We need to understand what it means to have Jesus as our sacrifice, as our lamb, that was sacrificed on our behalf. And so we talked all about that. But this week, we're going to focus on the last person in this story, and we're going to talk about the baby. So we're going to talk about the baby today, and we're going to read from Luke chapter 2. And we're going to read the whole Christmas story um, because I like reading it. And so I might not be good at reading it, but I like reading it. So here we go. We're going to read through it, um, all 20 verses here. All right. So it says this. In those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. This was the first sentence that um, took place while Canarius was governor of Syria. And everyone went to his own town to register. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. I bring good news of great joy that will be for all the people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is Christ, the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. Suddenly a great company of the heavenly hosts appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace to men on whom his favor rests. the shepherds returned glorifying and praising God for all the things that they had heard and seen, which they were just as they had been told. And so you have this last part and we're going to be talking about the baby and there are two things that stand out to me within the the story of christmas especially here in luke and they start in verse seven and they so they're mentioned in verse seven and they're mentioned in verse 12 and i'm going to read those two again to you and i want you to see what those two things are and verse 7 says, and she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. She wrapped him in cloths and placed him in a manger because there was no guest room available for them. The second, in verse 12, it says, this will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. So what are the two things we're going to be talking about? Cloths and manger. Cloth and manger. All right, so the first one's cloth, and this cloth is just your average baby wrap. Okay, it's just a cloth to wrap your baby, and I always pictured when we would have kids and, and, you know, wrapping them up, I always pictured a burrito. Right. You know, you're stuffing that kid in there, <laughs> right? And uh, the only difference between a, a real burrito and that is you have to grab arms sometimes and you have sh- to force them in. <laughs> and, and the guys aren't laughing. Why aren't you guys laughing? Like, the ladies are laughing because they know <laughs> Do it. Because they right? do it. Um, I always loved doing it because it was just fun. It's like crap, crap, right? And uh, once it was done, and they look like they're just like stuck in there. And you're like, did I hurt that kid? Uh, no, he's fine. They're breathing, right? Um, but it's just a typical baby's cloth that is wrapped up. And I think it's interesting that they have it because one of two things has to be true. Either one, she knew that she might have this baby on this trip. And so she came prepared. Or that the people whose stable they were living in, or staying in at that moment, they supplied it. So one of those things has to happen. Either she brought it because she was preparing, or someone was there and God prepared it. Either way, this baby is wrapped in this cloth. Now that's important, and we'll come back to it. But the manger, let's talk about the manger now. The manger, for most of you probably know this, it is a feeding trough, okay? It is literally, so it's either made of wood or it's made of stone, one of the two, and it's a place for them to come feed. Now, if you've ever been on a farm, this isn't like a pig trough because the Jews don't really like pigs. And so this is more of probably a hay trough. And so it's a little cleaner, but as if you've ever been on a, um, around a feeding area, there it's not always the cleanest. Okay? No. And so there's probably some stuff going on. So this isn't a very nice place, but I'm sure they probably cleaned it up as best as they could because they, you know, having this baby. And just think, who was there delivering that baby? Right. Mary and Joseph. We don't get anyone else. Tell you what, Joseph's like, man, this kid... <laughs> Right, that? And so you have this situation where you have these, this cloth and this manger, and it's a really interesting because of what is being wrapped and what is being placed. And so when we're starting to look at the Christmas story, and we're looking at all this stuff that's going on in the Christmas story, we have to really look at what, what's going on with this manger and this cloth. Because what is being wrapped up and what is being placed shows us how different everything is in this story. And what I mean by that is, let's talk about who the child is. And I want to do this by, sh- by talking about how the Bible describes him, right? So I want to take you over to Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6, and I want you to hear how the, how the Bible describes this child, all right? It says this, For to us the child is born, to us the son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Now, so there's, a, there's something that Isaiah does there. So he's looking, and he says, there's this child that's going to come along, and he says, these are the things that are going to be on him. He says, the government will be on his shoulders. That literally means that he has the burden of, of kingship. So this guy when he comes, he is going to be a king and he's going to be burdened with it. He's weighted with it. And so we need to understand that when we start talking about the Christmas story that this is a this is not just any child. This is a king child. But then we're given four names. Now, there's a lot to these names. I mean, there is a lot. And we can't actually go into all of it. So, we're just going to do the the skimming of it. Okay? And we're going to talk about each of these four names. The first one is Wonderful Counselor. This literally means the wisdom of God. That it comes, that this person is the wisdom of God. That in him resides the wisdom from God. This isn't just some, you know, you... Um, what was that uh, old, uh, was it, oh, man, no, I can't remember anything. Uh, in the newspaper, it was Anne, right? Where you would, Dear Abby, Dear Abby and yeah, uh, write your problems to people, right? And they would respond to it. This isn't that kind of counselor. This isn't just, hey, I need some advice. This is the wisdom of God. Like, think about this. How many of you know how? how to do molecular biology. Sure? Yeah, no problem. That's like a Tuesday night. What the heck is it? Right? <laughs> you know, maybe some do. You know, I know a couple of people in our congregation that are uh, engineers and we, we do have an astrophysicist um, that is a part of our congregation. Not here right now, but he comes down. You know, so there are people that maybe know that stuff. I know two plus one. You know what I'm saying? The wisdom of God, I mean, just think of what it means to create the universe. The wisdom of God. You know, guys, I'm just speaking to the guys right now, ladies, you can tune out for a second. Wouldn't you love the wisdom of God to know what a woman's thinking? Yes. (laughs) Yes. Right? Okay, ladies, you can tune back in. So, but just to know what God, you know, just to know, and this child has the wisdom of God. Okay, the next one, mighty God. This is, this idea of mighty, you know, we tend to think like strength, right? But this has more to do with warrior, being a warrior, that God is a mighty warrior, that he is willing to go to battle. That he is willing to go into the, the thick of it and go after it. So this is a God who fights. This is a God that goes after it. The God does not leave other things, to people to do his work. He goes and he does it himself. This is the mighty God. So this child is, a, is this God who is willing to fight battles. The next one is the everlasting father. And we're just going to focus on that first part, the everlasting. You know, it's real easy to think, oh, well, Jesus was born in a manger. But it's more than that. He is the eternal one. He is the one that has no beginning. He's the one that has no end. You know, it's really interesting when you start thinking of how the universe was made, right? And so you start um, pondering all these big thoughts. And this one thought comes to mind that in order for something to create or Um, one thing has to happen. Either there has to be a creator outside of all of it, or that everything is eternal. That matter is eternal. You only have these two options. But there, there comes to this point in philosophy where you start thinking about this idea of this being that creates has to be timeless. Because time is a part of the creation. And so this being has to be timeless. He has to be outside of it all. And... Isaiah is describing this child as the timeless one, as the one that's outside of creation that creates all things. And so he has no beginning and no end. Jesus actually claims this about himself in Revelation. He says, I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. He says, I'm everything. And so we have this everlasting father. And then finally we get to the Prince of Peace. And this idea of the Prince of Peace, we're just going to focus in on the Shalom, the peace, the peace part of it, is this idea of, it's not just, man, you know, if you ever had struggles in your life, you're like, I just want a little calm. It's not that. It's not just calm. It's literally the bringing together, the fixing of things, the, the, the mending of relationships, the cease to aggression. It's the calm. It's, the, it's everything humanity desires when it comes to peace. It's, I have a good relationship with my family. You know, one of the things about this time of year and all the holidays and all that, where we got Thanksgiving, Christmas dinners, and all that, for a lot of families, it's a hard time to come together because there's so much hurt and pain that it's like, I just don't want to be here because it hurts just being in the same presence as my family. And the Prince of Peace is the, the family being mended. It's nations being fixed. And so this Prince of Peace isn't just, we need some calm in our life. It's No, it's the total fix of the world. And it's saying that this child is the only way to peace. It's the only way that the world can have peace is through this child. And so in this description of this child, that's what we get. We get this wonderful counselor that has all the wisdom of God. We get the mighty God who is the fighter, the God who fights. We get the everlasting Father who is the eternal one. And we get the Prince of Peace who brings the only peace that the world really needs. The final peace. Just in this description... And we see him being wrapped in cloth and lying in a manger. Do we see the, how different that is? This God who's so wonderful and so great in a feeding trough, wrapped by his creation. That's huge, but it doesn't end there. I want to share with you um, Isaiah writes this a little further into his book in chapter 53. I want to read to you the entire thing here. All right? And I want to skip down to verse 2. And it says this. It It says, He grew up before him like a tender shoot, like a root out of dry ground. He had no beauty or majesty to attract us to him, nothing in his appearance that we should desire him, I mean, just stop right there. This child. Now, ladies, when you see a baby, what do you say? Oh, that's a cute baby. Guys have a different reaction. Now, they don't say this out loud, so I'm going to be truthful with you. That looks like a Muppet. (laughs) I'm just being truthful. But this baby, it says, there's nothing about him. This man growing up, there's nothing about him that would draw us to him. You know, we, we have pictures of Jesus, and he's, got, he's just flowing. He's got those deep blue eyes and just, you know, long hair, good-looking guy. And yet, from the way the Bible describes him, you wouldn't give him a second look on the road. This is the, the who we're talking about that's in this manger. We go down to verse 3. He was despised and rejected by mankind, a man of suffering and familiar with pain. Like one from whom people hide their faces, he was despised and he was held in low esteem. You know, a lot of times we can think of God as not knowing our situations, right? God, you don't know what I'm going through. You don't understand. And yet... This describes him as he was despised, rejected by mankind, a man of suffering, familiar with pain. He understands. He he gets it. If you've ever been rejected in your life, you're not the first. Jesus was rejected too, and he understands that. And we keep reading, Surely he took our pain and bore our suffering, yet we considered him punished by God, stricken by him and afflicted. By oppression and judgment he was taken away yet who of his generation protested? that's huge that he comes purposely to be sacrificed to die and he does it without saying without any objection. That's huge because I think of this how many of us I mean do you have family friends? And you go, man, I'd die for you. I'd take a bullet for you. And then you have someone else and say, I'd shoot you. You know, you have people in your lives. You're like, I would die for you. And you have people in your lives like, I'd step out of the way of the bullet just so it hits you. Make sure it hits you. And you know, you have those people in your lives. And I know you might be thinking, man, he's a real jerk. <laughs> You're right. I'm not a good. Uh, I'm not that good. There are people that I love, and I said, I would die for my, my family. I would die for my friends. But then there's people in my life that I'm like, I don't know if I would. Because you hurt me, and you, you do things to me. You run me through the, the gauntlet, and why should I lay down my life for you? And here's Jesus saying, I will do that to people that would throw him away. That's huge. Because it's not just he loves those that love him. He loves those that would completely reject him. And this is the, the description we're getting of him. And, and continue on in verse 8. For he was cut off from the land of the living for the transgression of my people. So he's killed for our sin. Those things that we do in rebellion against God. For the transgression of my people he was punished. he was assigned a grave with the wicked and the rich in his death, though he had done um, done no violence, nor was any deceit in his mouth, yet it was the Lord's will to crush him and cause him to suffer and though the Lord makes it, and though the Lord makes his life an offering for sin he will see his offspring and prolong his days. And and the will of the Lord will prosper in his hand. After he has suffered, he will see the light of life and be satisfied. By his knowledge, my righteous servant will justify many, and he will bear their iniquities, their sin. Therefore I will give him a portion among the great, and he will divide the spoils with the strong, because he poured out his life unto death and and was numbered with the transgressors. For he bore the sin of many and made intercession for the transgressors. And so when we're talking about the Christmas story, we're talking about this, this mighty God, this wisdom of God, this everlasting Father, this Prince of Peace. And at the same time, we're talking about the one that has come for us because we're lost in sin. Because we're the ones that... And we did it to ourselves. When we rebel, when we say, I'm not going to do what you say, God. I'm going to follow my own path that's when we walk in sin. That's what the Bible calls sin. And because of that, it's leading us to one place. It's eternal separation, a second death. It's, it leads us to physical death. It leads us to broken relationships. It leads us to war. It leads to everything that we say we don't like, and yet we continue to walk in it. Because sin, uh, we've got to be honest, sin is just fun for a time. And it breaks down and it destroys. And it eventually leads us not only to a physical death, but to eternal death. And the Bible says eternal separation from God, which is in hell, which leads into an eternal separation in the lake of fire. That is something, and, and Scripture says that God wishes none, He desires none, would end in that fate. That's huge. And so when we're talking about this, what we're really seeing is we're seeing God, who is a humble and loving God, coming to earth and being the sacrifice. And it's crazy because my punishment is my own. I can't do anything for any of you guys because I messed it up on my, my own. And your punishment is your own and I can't fix that. But Jesus is but Jesus comes and he doesn't deserve punishment. And yet he chooses to get the punishment. And because he chooses to do that, my punishment can be transferred to him. And your punishment can be transferred to him. That's huge. Because now I'm free. I'm free from the bondage of sin. I'm free to, to live eternally with God. And I'm free to get all those things that I, I've desired. I get, the, I get wisdom that comes from God. I'm not that smart. And anything can help. And God gives me things that I would never understand. And I still don't understand. And yet He says, just walk. and let's, I'll teach you. And he fights for me. There are times in my life where I don't even know what's going on, and God works things out. I'm like, it, it's yours. Like this, this pastor's wife. Like that situation, God has to fight in that situation. Because I can't, and he can't. God has to fight. And have you ever thought, I, I want my life in perspective? The greatest perspective is eternity. It puts everything the perspective. Because if I build a legacy here, that's short. It's short-lived. In two or three generations, people might not remember me. We only remember a handful of the billions of people that have lived throughout the centuries. And that's called history. We all remember... Okay, everyone know who Julius Caesar is? Okay, do you know who um, Fred Caesar is? No, because he's a made-up character. I just said that. There are people that surrounded Julius Caesar we'll never know. you guys know who Brutus is? Had two Brute? Well, that's because he killed Caesar. It was one of the guys. you guys know who the other ones were? No, Mark Anthony wasn't there. Was it? I don't know. <laughs> I know there's others. Right? But there are people... So my legacy in this world is finite. But with God, my life is eternal because of Him. And then He's my peace. In times when it's the greatest... Times like... I. This whole thing with the virus I have counseled and talked to many, many people about fear during this time. And it, it is there's is some fear here, right? But it's it's amazing to watch watch people walk in the peace of Christ and they trust. And it's hard. And I watch them. And it's, uh, it's so great to watch because I go, I, I want that peace, God. And that peace only comes from Christ. From Jesus. From this child who came, who's the mighty God, who came to us. And that's what Christmas is. It's the understanding that this great and glorious God comes to us, allows us to wrap Him in In cloth and allows us to put him into a really dingy situation. I mean, if you've had a child, you 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 understand, or if you've ever even been to one of these, a a shower, right? Well, not a shower, um, a baby shower, right? You go to a baby shower, why? Because you want the best for that child, and the best that was for this child was a feeding trough this mighty God, this this sacrifice, this willing person that was going to walk this and then die for humanity. The best we could give him was a feeding trough. And then after that was a cross. And it starts with Christmas. This is is why Christmas is so great. Because the God of the universe came to us. Not the other way around. And this is the thing, we can't do it. And at Christmas time, it's easy it's easy to forget, especially with all this stuff going on, all this virus stuff, all this political stuff, everything that's going on, it's really easy to lose focus on what Christmas is. It's the love of God come to us. And for whoever puts their trust in him, it's the light to the world. That there is hope in darkness, that there is life where death seems to be everywhere. That's huge. That's Christmas. And when we talk about the manger, we talk about the cloth, we're talking about the God wrapped in humanity, walked with us, died for us, and says, come to me. And that's the thing. Anyone can accept Jesus as their Savior. Anyone can. It is a free gift to anyone. I can't do it for anyone else except myself. And everyone in here cannot do it for anyone else except themselves. We have to accept Jesus as our Savior and what he did for us. This is why it's so important that we understand why the angels praised him. This is why it's so important that we understand why the shepherds understood that he was a sacrifice. Because there's only two ways to to clear our slate of sin. Either at the end of our lives and we pay the price and that means we get the punishment, which is the, the eternal separation, or we accept Jesus as our Savior and He took the punishment. And now we get all those things that God has to offer. We get the, the counsel of God, we get the fighting of God, we get the, the eternal perspective, and we get the peace of God. And that's huge. And so my challenge this week is very simple. It's three parts. And you might, you might be able to skip different parts depending on where you're at. The first one is recognize who Jesus is. We just spent some time recognizing who Jesus was. He is the Wonderful Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. He is the one, He is the God who came down, wrapped Himself in flesh, walked among us, understands our pain and suffering, and died for us. And then He was resurrected to prove it. That's who He is. The second part is, if you haven't, accept Jesus as your Savior. It will be the best Christmas present you've ever had. Because you're, that one night of Christmas radically changed the world and it will radically change you too. And then the last one is this. you got to grow in your relationship with Him. I was just having a conversation with Jack. We do a, a small Bible study um, in between uh, services and we were talking about how the Bible is all about relationship. When... God when God introduces himself to Moses in the burning bush he doesn't say I am the God who and he lists off a bunch of doctrinal things he says I'm the God of Abraham I'm the God of Isaac I'm the God of Jacob saying they knew me as their God it's time for you to know me as your God and that's what Christmas is it's time that you know me as your God and so accept Jesus as your savior but then walk in relationship with Him. And this is done through prayer, through Bible reading, through meeting together like this, where we can grow together. In fact, Christmas Eve, when we do our Christmas Eve service, it's all about singing carols. We're praising God like the angels. We're recognizing who He is. And then we're just reading through the Christmas story. There's no preaching. There's nothing. We're just focusing on that, building our relationship with each other and learning about God together. And so that's my challenge for you this week because God has called you into his life. The question is, is do we accept it and are we going to walk in it? And so let's celebrate this Christmas with, with the understanding that God came to us, allowed us to wrap him up and not in the best of places, but he still loved us to die for us. And he invites all of us to that relationship. Sound good? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, you are great and glorious. You gave us your Son Jesus, and I thank you so much because without Him, I can't do nothing. I literally, can't. I can't do uh, my life. I can't love my my wife. Um, I can't love my kids. I can't do anything without you. And I thank you. And so, Father, I ask for everyone in here that we would come to you this Christmas, and we would thank you for the gift that you have given us who is Jesus. Jesus, I I thank you for your sacrifice on my behalf. I thank you for your sacrifice on the behalf of everyone in here. Help us to know you. Help us to come to you. Help us to accept everything you've done for us. And Lord, I ask by the power of the Holy Spirit that we would come closer to you, that we would know you in a greater way. That we become your people in a way that would be a light to all that is around us. So Lord, I thank you. And to your son's name I pray. Amen.